This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right. Um, this next one is Disease Reversal and the Cutting Edge. Powerful things that the Lord has uh, helped us to understand. But before we begin, let's have another word of prayer together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you care about us, Lord, in such profound ways. You have given us the greatest gift of all in your son, that he's come to this world, died for our our sins, and showed us a path of life and life more abundantly. And we just want to thank you for these beautiful gifts. And we also want to thank you uh, for the example that he gave us of healing and restoration and health, Lord, that we can have that here and now, that we don't have to live in a life of um, pain and suffering and side effects all the time. But we've already discussed, Lord, that you will be with us through it all. But we thank you for these gifts, and we pray that you be with us now. We ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It says here we have a more sure word of prophecy. Okay? We have a more sure word of prophecy. That comes from Second Peter chapter 1. And in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, it talked about how Peter is explaining, we had Jesus in the flesh with us, but guess what we have? We also have prophecy to prove these things, right? A more sure word of prophecy. The prophets of old uh, told us that a Savior was coming and gave us signs of how this would happen. And those that believed on his coming were blessed, right? Those who believed to this day. We live by that, right? We live by a short, more sure word of prophecy. We've not seen Jesus. We've not seen these things, but we are basing our faith on the word of God, and we've tested it ourselves, right? And we believe these things because someone else has told us, because we believe that the things that we read in the word of God are based on someone having an encounter with God, right? And we have tested these things, and prophet after prophet has come in and shown that these things are true and accurate and right. And science backs these things up, right? So we have a more sure word of prophecy. But science comes and goes, right? True science always backs up the word of God, right? But popular culture type science doesn't always back up what the Word of God says. But isn't that interesting that at a time in the U.S. when things were so contrary to what we understand as health today that people believed a more sure word of prophecy. And guess what those people back then in... um, during the time when, when God gave Ellen White the visions, right? Those people that believed these things and followed them, contrary to popular belief, contrary to the science of the day, today are the longest living people on this planet. Is that powerful? And I just think that's so profound that 
You know, a lot of times we do things today because we see science is backing up these things. Back then, some of these people didn't know it. We, our health documentary on, uh, it's called Ancient Health, we got to go and meet some centenarians, and it was such a blessing. A centenarian is someone that lives to be 100 plus years old. Okay, so uh, we went down to Loma Linda, California, and, and mind you, this is not the only place that centenarians live, but there was a concentration of them there, and we went to one of the old folks' homes there that has several of them living there. Oh, it felt like we had gone to heaven for the day. I kid you not. Chad and I were so blessed. We came out of there that, uh, that evening. We're like, and they even invited us to stay with them uh, and had us to be guests with them at dinner time. And it was so beautiful. One of, one of the uh, ladies that's in our documentary, her name is Benita, and she was so excited, and she just wanted, she's like, I just want to pinch your cheeks and take you home with me. It was just so adorable. The, the personalities, the, the blessings, the things that they did before their time, right? They did before um, science told them that these things were so. And another one, those of you that have been through Loma Linda, California, uh, I mean, through Loma Linda University, uh, Dr. Wareham. Dr. Wareham, he, um, he did open heart surgery. He assisted, okay, he officially retired at 75. But other doctors would not allow him to retire at 75. And from 75 to 95, he assisted in open-heart surgery. Isn't that awesome? And you might think, well, I don't want a 95-year-old working on me. But the thing is, is if you are a surgeon, you want someone with that kind of experience working with you and teaching you, right? And so he just, why did he, he says, why did I stop at 95? He said, I, when I was 90, I decided I got to stop sometime. So when am I going to do it? 95. We recorded him at 100 years old, and he said, you know what? I could still do surgery today. My eyes are good. My hands are steady. The only thing is I can't sit, you know, stand there all day, right, doing surgery. But how beautiful. And he said, he said, I read these things, and I believe him. He said, I have been a vegan for over 50 years of my life. He said, as soon as I saw things happening and I knew that I could live off of these things, he said, I did it. Before 50 years, guess what? In the 1960s, the Adventist church was studied by the U.S. government. And you know why? Because they thought vegetarianism was a disease. And they thought, we better study these people. Something might happen to them. But guess what they discovered? That we actually live longer than the regular population. Isn't that powerful? And so because they thought at the time that meat was the best source of protein, right? That was the common science at the time and still is today. I mean, come on. How many people do you meet that, that ask you if you're a vegetarian, where do you get your protein from, right? You know what would be a good question to ask people? Well, where do you get your fiber from? Because you know there's more diseases caused by a lack of fiber than by a lack of protein. So it's a very good question to turn around and ask somebody and not in a mean way right? But just to get people thinking outside the box. So these people thought outside the box because God had spoken these words. He'd shared them for our good always, right? And they did it, and they're the longest living people, and they're a light to the world today. People are intrigued by them. 
I'm going, oh, sorry. I'm going to show you a clip from our documentary, uh, Ancient Health, in just a moment. It's very interesting, in, in my specialty of diagnostic radiology, we've had the ability to go back 3,500 years in time. The Egyptian mummies dating back uh, 3,500 years ago have been studied by autopsy, where they cut into the mummy and they look at the various organs and arteries, and also by CT scans. We can look at CT scans, we can look at MRIs. We can basically, uh, through these imaging devices, begin to understand the diseases of the ancient Egyptians. The paleopathologists are able to determine what types of diseases they had through x-rays and through different types of tests. Paleopathology is a study of diseases of ancient man. And they can look inside. And what they're discovering is actually fascinating. The upper echelon of the Egyptian society uh, suffered from the very same diseases that the upper echelon or middle class and upper class of, of our Western culture deals with today. In fact, uh, Ramesses the Great is believed to have died from a heart attack. Heart disease, very common cause of death. Cancer, very common cause of death. Gallbladder disease was rampant uh, there with gallstones, with the increased cholesterol. Gallstones are always associated, or most often associated, with a very high fat diet. Again, consistent with the same kind of diet we have in Western nations. The famous Queen Hatshepsut, her mummy has been identified. And uh, Hatshepsut was probably the most powerful female ruler that ever lived. She actually ruled Egypt as king. She wore the royal headdress with the cobra. She even wore the beard that the uh, pharaohs wore. Hatshepsut is believed to have died from obesity, diabetes, and liver cancer. And the Egyptians did suffer uh, from diseases that we suffer from today simply because they also had a very similar lifestyle to what we have today. 70% of deaths in, in North America are due to chronic diseases that are diet and lifestyle induced. Globally, it's about 63% and rising. On the other hand, just imagine you could reverse many of these diseases by making some simple lifestyle changes. How we eat, how we drink, how we sleep, how we love. That means 70% of the patients can be treated effectively through lifestyle medicine. Many of these diseases, especially when it comes to heart disease, coronary artery disease, is totally avoidable. We know that if people chose to eat differently, and if they chose to live active lives, the risk of these diseases would be reduced probably 90% for diabetes, 80% for heart disease, 70% for cancers, just by changing your diet and lifestyle. One of the food products and major parts of the diet of the ancient Egyptians was definitely meat products that Egyptians thrived, if you will. Maybe thrived is too strong a word, but they enjoyed, at least the wealthy did, their rich foods, their, their fowl, their meat sources. Any person of history knows who mummies were. They were the priests, the priestess, the kings, the queens. They're also called pharaohs. It was these affluent folks that began to develop the atherosclerosis and whatnot that we're seeing today. They were obese. Uh, they had, as I mentioned, artery disease all over the body. They had the diseases of rich people. Those that had diets of overabundance, maybe, you know, every 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner was kind of like Christmas, Thanksgiving, and New Year's in terms of the diet, and that was killing them, and it's killing us. However, it's quite interesting when you look at some of the earlier dynasties in ancient Egypt and the paleopathologists studied the, the causes of death in those times, they actually ate more of a plant-based diet. They didn't refine their date sugar, they had more whole food plant foods, and they did not have the level of diseases that the latter dynasties had when they ate all types of animal products and unhealthy food. So as we look at the Egyptian mummies, we see diseases that are facing us today. And they're, they're discovering a tremendous amount of information, and we now know that if you choose that lifestyle, it doesn't matter if it was 4,000 years ago, you're going to have the same diseases. The lifestyle predicts the outcome. There's lessons that we can learn today when, when you look at the older culture, which ate more of a healthy diet, lots of fruits and vegetables, unrefined foods, unrefined date sugar, whole plant foods, they had better health, and you compared it to the later dynasties of ancient Egypt, where they ate more of a diet, actually, more like uh, Western diets today, they had all these types of diseases that we have today, the heart disease, the cancer, diabetes, etc. Ancient Egyptian mummies, as we study them, are unlocking questions we've had for millennia about health, why people live, why people die. We know why they were dying, but they, they answer questions not just about the past, but also that we have in the present. What should we be eating now? And really, if we take that information, they're helping us uh, know what we should eat even in the future. Okay. Wasn't that interesting? Um, that's a small portion of a documentary that's an hour and a half long. It's called Ancient Health that we produced. It was um, life-changing for us, actually. It was while we were um, doing this that our lives really changed in terms of health. And so praise the Lord. We really praise the Lord for this documentary as we were producing it. So... Uh, Speaking of the Egyptians, Exodus 15:26 says, And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Isn't that interesting? That um, what we're seeing in that documentary the diseases that the Egyptians died of. You know, for a long time we could have read this and like, well, what, what diseases were the Egyptians dying of, right? Uh, what, what was causing their death? Because it says they weren't diligently seeking the Lord, right? They didn't have the same lifestyle that the Jews did and, or the children of Israel did. And now we see, right, through autopsies and through uh, CT scans and these types of things, what the diseases of the ancient Egyptians were. And it's no different than the Western culture today, right? The sad diet, the standard American diet, it's causing all these diseases and causing um, issues in our health care, right? And having enough money to pay for all these diseases and so on and so forth. It's a really big problem. Uh, it, so what is disease? Okay, we need to know what disease is. And this is a definition from Councils on Health, page 90. I really like this. It says, disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. In case of sickness, the cause should be ascertained. 
So the cause should be figured out, right? Unhealthful conditions should be changed, wrong habits corrected. Then nature is to be assisted in her effort to expel impurities and to reestablish right conditions in the system. This is powerful for you to understand uh, disease, for us to understand disease. Because a lot of times we just think, I don't know where it came from, right? I have no clue why I got sick. I don't know, you know, why this is happening. But we're told here that it's, disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from violation of the laws of God, right? And, or the laws of health. And then we're supposed to figure out, okay, cause to effect. Why is this happening? What can I do? And what can I remove that's causing the issue? It could be an environmental issue, right? You could be in a house that's making you sick. You know, that happens more often than people realize. Some allergy issues you have could be the house you're in, could be something in, in the area, could be the food you're eating. We don't, you don't know. You have to ascertain what the cause is and then work about a situation where you free yourself of that, so on and so forth. And um, here are some diseases that are affected by inflammation. Okay, and we talked about earlier that inflammation is a marker for all kinds of lifestyle diseases. And here we see heart disease, obesity, Alzheimer's, arthritis, allergies, asthma, neurological diseases. You know, these are all diseases um, that when you have, have these, you have inflammation in the body. And um, yes, and cancer, diabetes, depression. Uh, these are all uh, issues, and we talked about depression earlier. Sorry, the, the slide was a little funny there. <laughs> anyway, these are all um, diseases that are affected by inflammation, and we need to figure out what causes the inflammation to begin with, right? What is it that's making us inflamed? And uh, you shared earlier about how meat products actually cause inflammation in the body, right? That's one source. That's one source of inflammation. But that we talked about, there's a scientific study that showed that meat products cause inflammation in the body. Look at this um, next slide. Cancer, inflammatory disease, and inflammation. It says cancers, tumors, and all inflammatory diseases are largely caused by meat eating. Isn't that interesting that we were told this a long time ago that these things are caused largely by meat eating? Now, a lot of times, you know, we'll look at this and we think, oh, man, come on. I, remember, I mean, I grew up in Avenus, and I grew up eating meat because we didn't know all these things. And I remember the first time one of my teachers showed me this, and I was like, she's crazy. That was my first reaction. She's like, I was like, what is she talking about? She's crazy. And, and I was just like, whatever. But the Holy Spirit didn't leave me there. The conviction was there. I heard it. And once it was in there, I started to see the patterns. I started to understand these things, and I started to realize it's true, you know? And so the Lord helped me through the whole process. It wasn't like overnight, boom, I just gave up everything. It wasn't like it was a progression, right? And we're told it's to be a progressive effort on our part, right? You're not going to change everything overnight, and nobody expects you to, right? God doesn't expect you to do that. Because if you don't see the benefits, 
you're not going to stick to it. Okay, if you don't see the, the things that change in your life, you're not going to stick to it. You've got to see these things. So uh, for me, it was just like I saw the benefits. I saw it was like black and white for me. And it was just like, wow, this is awesome. Here is another quote. Councils on in Diet and Foods, page 387. The eating of flesh meats has made a poor quality of blood and flesh. Your systems are in a state of inflammation, prepared to take on disease. So over and over, you're seeing this inflammation. Uh, the, the, the animal products bring inflammation, and then therefore, the disease comes in. When your body is in a state of inflammation, disease comes in. And inflammation is really an allergic reaction. Your body is reacting to a foreign object being in, in your system, right? And so that, that's what happens. And I just want to say once more... Um, this is, this is very important for us to understand and always step back that God said these things for our good always, right? These Adventists that believe these things because God just said it and they did it, they had no science to back them up, right? And they did it, and today they're the longest living people on the planet. And they were told a long time ago, these, you can avoid these diseases of the Egyptians, Think about it. The longest living people in the Bible were who? Those before the flood, right? The longest living people in the Bible were those that lived before the flood. And what was the diet before the flood? The Edenic diet, right? And they're the longest living people. Then we just got ourselves in too much trouble living that long, right? And so God had to cut our lives short and he allowed us to start eating meat. And it's now, of all generations, we need this message more than anybody because we have such a short lifespan. We have so many issues. We have so many problems. We have so many things bombarding us, right? Environmentally, I mean, these, these um, objects that we put in our pocket. I mean, we are getting hit like no other generation has been hit before. And yet we have been given a message like no other generation has been given before because we need it the most, right? And so if we view it in that way, if we look at it as like, wow, God really cares about me and my well-being. He cares about my happiness, and he wants me to thrive. And if we look at it in that aspect, then we won't have all the negative things that come with like, oh, I got to let go of this, and I got to let... Just think of it as like God wants to bless me with good things. If you can share the verse about God satisfying our mouth with good things. Yes. And I think we, um, Psalms 103 verse 5 says, Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't that nice? That God wants to, he wants to satisfy your mouth. It doesn't say with bitter things or harsh things or things you don't enjoy. He wants to satisfy your mouth with Good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And we're talking about inflammation. One of the diseases, uh, one of the inflammatory diseases is type 2 diabetes. Now, what percentage of people are healed from type 2 diabetes by diabetes medication? I've never heard of one. Zero is, is, yeah, yeah, people are showing me. The answer is zero. Nobody is cured from type 2 diabetes. And it's interesting because the American Diabetic Association says there is no cure for type 2 diabetes. They are lying. 
It's been shown, study after study, I don't know how they could even say a major institution like that could just blatantly lie when they, when, if you would look at the scientific studies, you would know, like Dr. Dean Ornish, who worked with the United States government, doing a study comparing the American Diabetic Association diet to a vegan diet, and he found, they found it was three times better that people, but then we see, we'll look at it, I could go on and on and on, but so, so type 2 diabetes, what percentage of people are cured by the medication? None, none. I mean, it, it, it can help the disease you know, progress more slowly or just keep you diseased, but it will not actually reverse the disease, right? So there's a cause to it. Now, here's the thing. There is something that people can end up getting. They call it like type one and a half diabetes, which is actually more like type one. I, I don't have to, I could, if, if you wanna talk about it, I could talk to you more about that, uh, but I don't have time for that right now. So it's interesting, Dean Ornish, one of the top scientists in the United States today, um, he's, you know, one of the physicians who did the study on heart disease and reversing how you can actually physically reverse heart disease. Dr. Dean Arnish says that changing diet and lifestyle, uh, by, by changing diet and lifestyle, 95% of people can reverse their diabetes, fully reverse their diabetes. 95% of people. So there is, there is a few percentage of people that actually can't, but we're going to talk about this. So the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the what? Blood. Ellen White talks about making good blood. And when I was ignorant of science, I used to read what she said, like when I was first became an Adventist. I'd read what she said, and I thought, that sounds like weird, archaic language. Your food did not make good blood, Brother F. You know, and, and I thought that's, and I, I'm just being honest with you, I, but that was because I was ignorant that I thought it was non-scientific language. Because now that I know more about physiology, I realize she was exactly telling us what happened when you ate certain foods. We're going to talk about it. In type 2 diabetes, well, for everybody, for a healthy person, you have this little thing right here, and there it is shaking. And it doesn't shake like that, but I'm trying to help you see what it is. That's called the pancreas. Now, your pancreas, which wouldn't sit right there, it's actually your stomach would be in front of it, but for our illustration so you could see it. I made it wiggle and there's no stomach in the way. But the pancreas, when you eat food, something happens. The carbohydrates and the starches and the food that you eat begin to break down. You begin to break down and then they begin to let go of glucose, which is, we could just say sugar, into your bloodstream. And as it begins to go into your bloodstream, something very fascinating begins to happen. As it goes through, your blood sugar obviously begins to go up because blood sugar is, you know, getting into the bloodstream. So your blood sugar goes up. Your body senses that. And so what God did is he made something called the pancreas to send out a, something called insulin, which is a hormone, so that it could, it could help get that sugar into your cells. Because your cells, here's a picture of a cell, you can imagine it's kind of giant here, but uh, so here's a cell, and this cell, your muscle cells and your liver cell, their main source of fuel, their main source of energy is glucose, sugar, right? So we could just call it sugar, but it's glucose. And so uh, imagine for our illustration's sake, I, I put a little video together here. This is, this white ball is glucose. This is sugar. You've just eaten a meal, so the sugar is increasing in your bloodstream. And these uh, five-pointed stars that we have for our illustration are what we call insulin. This is the hormone. Now, think of insulin like a key. You cannot get, uh, in general, you don't generally get the sugar. There's one way to do it, but you don't get uh, sugar into you, the fuel into the fuel tank, which which is your cell, you don't get it in there unless you have a key to open up the, the cell. 
So I'll show you the video here. So here's our key, it's insulin, and here's our sugar. So notice our insulin makes its way and it attaches to the cell on what's called the insulin receptor. And so that's like going into the keyhole. Once it connects, it opens up the cell so that the glucose right here can make its way into your cell so that your cell can have fuel so you can have energy. Does that make sense? So this is just the kind of lay, lay version of how it works. Here's another picture, a very simplistic picture of how insulin works. Uh, here's your cell, and here's your keyhole. I mean, obviously, this is more simplistic than reality. The, your insulin receptor, and you have the key, which is insulin. The key comes, it unlocks the cell so that your glucose, the cell, can get into the glucose channel, that it can make it into the door of the cell. And now your cell has energy. Now your cell has energy. Ellen White says something fascinating in Healthy Living, page 30. She said, perfect health depends upon perfect circulation. Does that make sense? In order to have perfect health, you must have perfect circulation. So what would happen if no key were there? What if your pancreas didn't produce keys? Would the, would the, would the uh, cell be able to get the sugar, the, the fuel that it needs, yes or no? No, because there's no key. So then you would have to inject insulin and you would be what's called a type 1 diabetic because you don't have any keys, right? You don't have any insulin. Now I'm going to show you what happens in a type 2 diabetic. Here's our picture again. Do you notice anything different about this, this cell here? It's a little lighter color. That's how I kind of made that color there. But the reason I did that was because in this picture, the, your cell now is what scientists call it, it's lipotoxic. It's fat toxic. What that means is that it has fat within the cell. They call it intramyocellular lipid. That means fat within the cell. And when it's in the cell, it makes the cell what, what, it, what scientists call insulin resistant. So you have a key. Sorry, it's behind my <laughs> tie there. Uh, you have the key. You, actually, a type 2 diabetic produces plenty of insulin. Their, their pancreas is just shooting out the insulin, trying to get that in there. But the trouble is, your cell becomes insulin resistant. Uh, this is you know, our little video here. The insulin goes, and in this case, it doesn't even connect. Sometimes it will even connect, but the, the cells still will not be able to get the glucose. The glucose can't make it in. It's being blocked from getting in. And this is what we call a type 2 diabetic. Your pancreas still produces the insulin, but at this point, you can't get it into the cell because there's fat there. Just like maybe putting a bunch of oil on something keeps you know, water from penetrating, so too with this. The sugar, the glucose is kept from getting into the cell. Now you have no energy. So the type 2 diabetic is getting tired and tired and tired and because their cells are keeping the key. It's like if somebody went to your house and they stuck uh, you know, maybe like glue or bubble gum in your, in your keyhole. Well, you got a good key and you got a good hole, but what, you can't, what can't you do? You can't get it in there. You can't really turn the key, right? And so, but if you could get all that gum or glue out of there, you could then get your key in there and start working again. Is it possible to get the gum out of the cell, get the fat out of the cell so that we can start using those keys again? That's what we're going to look at. So here's it, here it is, type 2 diabetic, your pancreas behind your stomach sends off. You, you, you just ate some, you've eaten some food and your blood sugar is increasing. And so the pancreas is told to send out some, some you know, insulin. And as it does, it connects there to the insulin receptor and it lets the glucose in. So I'm going to show you now... How can type 2 diabetes be reversed in 95% of people? 
I'm gonna show you something. Now, one of, the, one of the side effects of type two diabetes is we have something called peripheral neuropathy, pain of the outer extremities, sometimes the face even in, in a few cases, but like the feet, feels like you're walking on razor blades. I'm gonna show you a video clip from a new series that we're working on. Uh, the series isn't done, but I'll show you a video clip from it here uh, about type two diabetes. This is quite fascinating. One of the difficult areas of diabetes is that people get what we call peripheral neuropathy. Peripheral neuropathy is often a painful condition. It's like a pins and needles sensation that can be significantly painful, painful enough that people are seeking pain medicines to try to control it. Peripheral means out there at the ends, and so you see it, you see uh, neuropathy. It's a, it's a pathy of the nerves, in other words, a disease of the nerves. It's a complication of diabetes where the, the nerve actually loses its ability to send messages to the spinal cord and they can't feel it. And there's numbness and later on pain. Yeah. The most common thing I hear from people with neuropathy is uh, when it's getting in its advanced stages, my feet feel like I'm walking on razor blades, even when they're laying down. And uh, the most common reason in, in the Western world is diabetes and alcohol. Alcohol can also cause peripheral neuropathy. Uh, and uh, that is a condition that has thought to previously not been able to be reversed. Now, if you talk to most people who manage diabetes, they'll say, you know, we're going to try to manage your peripheral neuropathy, and we're really probably not, we can't reverse it, but we're going to slow it down, and we're going to try to make it not get worse. If people stay on this program, they can reverse their peripheral neuropathy. The astonishing thing is you put people on a plant-based diet, using only plants for food sources and using them unrefined. Those are the two big issues. There's other smaller issues you can talk about that might have small effects, but if, it's, if the food source is plants and if it's unrefined, those are the two big, big issues. How you cook it, whether you cook it, all kinds of other things you hear out there are very, very minor issues in comparison to simply, it comes from plants and it's unrefined. And these people, 90% of them have complete relief from their neuropathy, complete relief, and often in very short period of time. In fact, when we get a group of 30 or 40 people in our seminars, we do these reversing diabetes seminars, we find that uh, almost everybody with neuropathy will say within two or three days, it's getting better. I really like the reversing diabetes programs because I can really see results really fast. If I bring somebody in and try to get them to lose 200 pounds, I'm not going to see much in two days. I'm not going to see anything in two days, probably. But in a diabetic, I can see dramatic changes in two days. We have an 18-day program where it's, it's focused on lifestyle, people with heart disease and stroke and peripheral vascular disease, the, the diseases in diabetes, um, all of the diseases of Western lifestyle, we actually test their blood at the beginning of the program, we test them at the end, and the results are often stunning. I mean, like a 40% reduction in triglycerides, a 30 or 40% drop in their cholesterol, their blood pressure across the board, the, the blood pressure drops while on medication. In fact, it's not uncommon that we'll take a lot of people off their medications while in the program because they don't need it anymore. And that's what's really amazing. This thing is really a paper tiger. It doesn't have to kill you. It can save you. 
Yeah, I'm going to tell you some testimonies, but actually tomorrow about people we've just been working with in the last couple months and how it's been changing their life. Simple things that within, within a week or two, people can literally, I mean, if they stick with this program, within a week or two, some people will just be able to, I mean, they can literally get to be to their, uh, not a diabetic within a week or two. Some people, not everybody. Some people, it takes longer. 95% of people can do it within six months, though. 95% of people can do it within six months, fully get rid of their type 2 diabetes, get off all medication, and not have high blood sugar. So, but he said there were two things that could make it happen. Did anybody remember what those two were? Plant-based diet, but what was the second one? Unrefined. What, is, what does it mean to refine food? Yeah, processed food. So meaning it would be like taking, you know, whole wheat and turning it into white wheat. It would like be like taking a, you know, beet and turning it into sugar. It would be turned like taking olives and turning it into oil, right? Now you can still eat the whole food, but the fastest way to get rid of these diseases is to have nothing refined. You can very rapidly, within days, most people can start getting rid of the pain, at least beginning to get rid of the pain. Now, it's interesting because notice what we, we, Ellen and I talked about inflammatory diseases. Notice what she says in Ministry of Healing. It is a mistake to suppose that muscular strength depends upon the use of animal food. The needs of the system can be better supplied and more vigorous health can be enjoyed without its use. The grains, notice what, the grains with fruits, nuts, and vegetables contain all the nutritive properties necessary to make good what? Blood. And what do you need to make? You need to make good blood. And if, if your blood is running with all kinds of fat, now what does the fat do? It blocks the key from getting in the keyhole. Does that make sense? So you eat a low-fat, plant-based diet, and as you do, you begin to your body begins to metabolize the fat within the cells, and the keyhole begins to open back up. Now you can turn the key, the sugar can get in, and you don't have high blood sugar anymore. This is how it works. So Ellen White gave us this insight before it ever came to pass. Now we know. I could go on and show you, you know, study after study on these different things, but I don't have time because we're going through multiple things. So the second disease that is an inflammatory disease that is the, you know, heart disease. This is the number one killer in the United States. And so let's look at diet versus drugs. This is the scientific information that is, that is currently available. So the most cutting-edge cholesterol-lowering statin drugs that people use to fight off heart disease... Lower your risks of dying from a heart attack over the next, by 3% over the next six years. So you taking statin drugs to lower, you know, to lower your cholesterol lowers your chances of dying by 3%. It's pretty good, huh? 3%? And I'll bet most doctors don't even know that. Meaning like, they, meaning, because when you're told, oh, this is what you give to your patients, but it only lowers their chances of dying by 3%? I mean, that's unreal, right? So you think is, okay, yeah, but what do you have? What, what, what is better? I mean, it's at least 3%. 3% less chance of dying is 3%. But you got to understand, there's all kinds of side effects potentially too, right? And so I'm not saying you can't take them, but it, it, many people actually think that it's giving them like a 70% chance of living longer, 80% chance of living longer. If most people knew you know, and felt the side effects, would they be willing to take those side effects for 3% benefit? Well, you say, well, what else is there? Let's find out. So Dr. Esselstein, 
was one of the people who did a study on this. He, he did his second study, did the second study on patients with established cardiovascular disease. These people were, they literally, their arteries were nearly clogged, like maybe some of them 90% blockage, or some of these people had already had bypass surgery. They were basically to go home and wait to die. They were, one of them was told, you know, just, just wait, go home, you know, get a rocking chair. And she's like, what do you mean? Are you telling me to go home and wait to die? The doctor's like, yeah, there's nothing else we can do for you. Well, what ended up happening, these people were put on Dr. Esselstyn's program, and they already had, they, it, was, it was shown that they had cardiovascular disease. They put them on a low-fat diet with nothing, this, you know, a low-fat plant-based diet uh, for all those who were fully compliant, who actually followed, stuck to the program. They reduced their risk of major cardiac events by 60%. Out of the 177 compliant, listen to this, check this out. Out of the 177 compliant test subjects, one had a stroke. That means 99.4% of those who stuck to the plant-based diet with no fish, meat, dairy, or oil avoid, had a reoccurrence. Do you get that? I, I, they actually, yeah, they avoided recurrence, meaning these people, it was a 99.4% chance that they wouldn't have a heart attack or a stroke. Do you realize how amazing the science, the science, not, not like quackery in people's opinions, the scientific studies that have already been done are nearly 100% success rate. You, you understand that? I mean, this is very fascinating, 99.4% versus, you know, our, you know, which is a 60% increase versus 3%, right? But this is by lifestyle change. But, but what, is, what is easier? Let's be honest. A pill, right? And that's why most of us want it. But why do you think, check this out, so we'll go on, sorry. So uh, all the subjects of Dr. Esselstein had advanced coronary artery disease. Most were acutely suffering from angina. That's that terrible chest pain, especially you get it real bad in the winter. You, know, you go out to shovel and it, oh, this terrible pain in the chest, it's horrible. Um, most of them were suffering from angina. And most had one or more bypass surgeries or angioplasty. They'd already had them before they came into the study. 23 men and one woman. And six dropped out, so 18 stayed. This was his first study. And he put them on a 10 to 12% fat diet, uh, calorie diet, I'm sorry, 10 to 12 uh, fat calorie. And the reason it's fat calorie, it's calories from fat. I wish I had time I could show you how to actually discover that. You can't tell by looking on the back of a package unless you do some math. It doesn't work by just saying, oh, it says it's 10% fat. That's not true. That's not fat calories. That's the Calories are the fat by weight, but I don't have time to go on. But it was 10 to 12% fat calorie diet with cholesterol-lowering drugs for five years. The average cholesterol went from 246 to 137. Now, they basically, from the Alameda County Health Study, what they found is that anybody who got their cholesterol under 150 was nearly heart attack proof. So it's not between if you're, you know, 170, you're heart attack proof. No, you have a similar, if you're 180, you have a similar chance of a heart attack to someone who has like 220. It's very similar. But once you get below 150, that's when you begin to have protective benefit from heart disease. But of the 11, sorry, of the 11 participants that were able to have an angiogram after five years, it was discovered that all of them had stopped any progress of heart disease, and eight participants had 10 to 30% reversal of their plaque in their arteries. So it was actually reversing the disease. In nine of the patients with, uh, who's, who started off with angina, all of them were drastically improved in the degree of pain, and, and two of them had completely reversed it. In 12 years, of those completely compliant, all of those over 12 years who stuck to it 100%, not one of them had increased heart disease. 
So you can actually put a stop to it. This, another study that was done, most people don't know about this one, Dr. Richard Fleming did a study of, of reversing heart disease. He had 26 people on a plant-based vegetarian diet for a year. Some of them on their own switched to the popular low-carb diet. Have you heard of the high-fat or the high-protein diets that are just everywhere? You know, the, uh, you know, they're big on that, and well, I won't go on it, but the paleo eaters, and many, many people are, not all paleo would be this way, but it can be popular. So they, they switched to a high-fat diet or a high-protein diet, whatever they were choosing to do. After a year, the vegetarian group with 15% calorie diet de decreased their atherosclerotic plaque, the blockage of their arteries, by 21 to 22% in one year. Those who switched to the low-carb, high-protein diet increased their plaque by 39 to 52% in one year. Could you imagine increasing the plaque in your arteries by 50% in a year? Would that be a wise move to transfer from a plant-based, whole plant-based diet to a high-fat diet, seemingly from this study? It could actually, by nearly 40 to 50%, it could be increasing on a yearly basis, the plaque in your arteries. That's very, very, I mean, these are drastic changes. Now, what about the angina, the chest pain? In Dr. Dean Ornish's first publication, he showed how he put people on a nearly vegan diet without exercise. Now, exercise is even, you know, even, it's beneficial for you. But just going on a totally plant-based diet, low-fat plant-based diet, uh, Within 24 days, they lowered their incidences of chest pain, their angina, by 90%. See, many people think, man, if I do this, it's going to take months, it's going to take years, you know, it'll take forever. It can happen within days. Days that the pain begins to go away. That's why so many people, when they try it, they actually stick with it. I love this one. 10 days. When you hear the number 10 days, what do you think of? Daniel, check this out. What can happen in 10 days? This is Dr. Esselstein. In 1996, Dr. Esselstein used a Daniel-type diet to combat, he's, he's not doing it from a Christian perspective, but it's Daniel-type because it was a plant-based diet, to combat the effects of an individual who had substantially poor circulation in a portion of their heart. So that within 10 days of a Daniel-type diet and cholesterol-lowering meds, the patient went from 248 cholesterol to 137. Within 10 days, he was basically in that realm that, that is considered basically heart attack free. In only three weeks, a repeat scan was done of the heart and the blood flow had been restored to that portion of the heart. So do you see how fast the changes can take place if you go on a whole food plant-based diet? The changes are absolutely amazing. That's why people, within two weeks, they lower their depression by 50% because perfect health is de dependent upon perfect circulation. You get the blood flow. You get the oxygenation to your brain and to your bodily organs. The pain starts to go away. You feel so much better. It's such an amazing experience. Check this out. This is something I found out just recently or relatively recently. You know, um, you'll see as I go forward what I mean. So one of the main causes of plaque buildup in your cells, the, the plaque, see it's, you know, filling up here. And if it went all the way to there, obviously the blood wouldn't be able to flow at all. One of the main reasons is what's called fat oxidization. Now, when you think of oxidization, you might think of rust on your car, right? I'm from originally from Michigan and Michigan, we salt the roads. And as the salt gets on your car, what happens? It oxidizes, it rusts, right? Rust is oxidization. And somewhat of a similar process, obviously not exactly, can happen within your, you know, um, your, your, you know, on your cells, or it could happen specifically in your arteries or in your veins. And so what happens is 
is fat oxidization. So if you eat certain food, certain food can oxidize. I'm gonna explain this. It's impossible to separate oxidization and inflammation in the body. If you have a lot of oxidization taking place, you have a lot of inflammation taking place. What they found is that blood in meat promotes oxidation, right? Blood in meat promotes oxidation. And so the blood that is left in there, so you're eating your steak, you're eating your burger, you're eating your chicken, and it has blood left in it. And what that is, it gets in, it, it is very quickly. What happens? Now you say, well, how much blood is left? Well, in, about 50% of blood scientists have found is left in beef. And chickens have appro approximately 50 to 65% of their blood left in it. So as you eat that blood, it goes in in the fat. As it goes into your, it begins to make its th way through your body into your blood. Ellen White says you need to make good blood. And as it's going through, it begins to oxidize. It begin, we could say it doesn't rust, but in our illustration, it begins to rust and it causes damage in your arteries. Does that make sense? Not rust, but you get, you get my point, the illustration. And so this is fascinating. So after, stomach acid, when you eat when you eat animal fat, helps to oxidize that fat within you. So after humans ingest animal fat, the acidity of the stomach promotes oxidation, which may result in atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries, plaque in the arteries. If eating blood and fat of animals is so bad, why didn't God just tell us? He did, right? Check this out. There's a few places. The eating of flesh meats has made a poor quality of blood and flesh, right? You get bigger. Your systems are in a state of inflammation, prepared to take on disease. You are liable to acute attacks of disease and to sudden death. Because you do not possess the strength of constitution to rally and resist disease. So it creates a poor quality of blood and it produces inflammation. Was what she said scientifically accurate, yes or no? Is this not on, how would a third grader know these things? You understand, she wasn't a third grader, she was a grown woman, but how would someone have this knowledge to share with the world? And yet, how would it still, you know, something that was said in the 1800s, wouldn't by today it would be like old, you know, like, come on, I mean, who would really trust something from the 1800s? Yet over and over, the messages have come down to us. But, you know, it goes back even further than that, doesn't it? Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17 says, It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither what? Fat nor blood. This is one of the oldest parts of the Bible, Leviticus, right? And yet God told us right from the beginning, don't eat it, it's not good for you. And you say, but Chad, but that's the Old Testament. You know, we live in the New Testament times, we're freed from all that bondage of those health laws of the Old Testament. What does the book of Acts say? Acts 15, verse 20. But this is what they decided for the Gentiles in the New Testament. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from what? Blood. It was a New Testament teaching also. And so as a Christian, now the Jews would actually try to get all the blood out of the meat as much as possible. In the Western society, we don't do that. I'll be, I'll be super honest with you. We can't just go buy a burger if you're going to follow the Bible, if you're going to follow biblical principles. I'm not judging anybody. You can do whatever you want, but I'm just going to tell you from a biblical perspective, they actually should have strained the meat. They should have killed the animal in such a way that it would get out as much blood as possible. But we don't do that in America, right? Maybe if you get some kosher meat, I don't know, maybe they do at that point. But in general, it still has a good portion, like we saw, 50 to 65% of the blood, science shows, is still in there. 
That's how we like it. It tastes good, right? I mean, I grew up eating my pork and eating my beef and eating shrimp and lobster and what have you. I ate all those things. But the reality is if, if we see what the Bible actually says, this isn't being judgmental. It's just getting back to the, the New Testament church, right? The book of Acts, what the Gentiles, people like probably most of us here, were actually called to do. And so it's not judgmental. It's just something to think about. So isn't it amazing, though, that God told us all these things long before the science ever came out? It's very powerful. We're going to close with our last one. It's, it's not like... 10 seconds, but we're, this, our last one of the three, we could go into disease after disease after disease. We have time for three. And what do we see here? We see that uh, looking at cancer, I, I, have, I have quotes for each one of these things, but we don't have time for them. The American Institute for Cancer Research from the Food, Nutrition, and Physical Activity and the Prevention of Cancer, a global perspective, they wrote about uh, the science of what makes it less likely for you to get cancer. What makes it less likely for you to get cancer? And these are eight of the things, and Ellen White has information on every single one of these. I don't have time to go through those because it would take way too long for me to do it. So I'm going to look at them, and you can take my word for it, and, but I have all the quotes on my computer. Actually, they're in this slideshow, but I shut them down so you can't see it so we wouldn't take so much time. But, so number one is seek to have the lowest weight in a healthy BMI range, the body mass index. So having a healthy BMI, but you want it, your BMI to be as low as possible within a healthy range. You know, we live in a time where if someone has a low BMI that's healthy, people think you're too skinny, but it actually makes you less likely to come down with cancer because fat is inflammatory. People who are obese or heavier end up having more inflammation within the body. So less fat doesn't mean you want no fat. I mean, like you want to eat your nuts. You want to, you know, you can have an avocado or what have you. Uh, so, you, you, you know, what's that? Olives, you know, you can eat, you know. And I'm not saying it's not judgmental like you can't eat, you know, ol you can't eat olive oil or whatever. But it's the quickest way, it seems, to reverse some of these diseases if you get rid of the refined oil. So number two, get physical activity. How often? Every day. You, you probably know. She talks about that, right? Number three, eat sparingly of energy-dense foods. Don't consume sugary drinks. Energy-dense foods would be foods that are either refined or things like cheese or things like meat. Those are very energy-dense foods. And you need, and, but even nuts, what does Ellen White say about nuts? Eat them sparingly. Meaning, you, you, you know, like a handful is good. You don't need, you know, 10 or whatever. I mean, you can do whatever you want. I'm just giving you the best science that's out there right now. And she's, that's exactly what she says. So you want to avoid energy-dense foods and don't consume sugary drinks, right? That's something to avoid. Eat mainly plant foods. And Ellen White, you know, she said the exact same thing. Don't eat much red and, or processed meat. Ellen White goes even further and just says, you know, the time has come to just let go of those things. Don't eat more than 11 ounces a week. But the interesting thing is this is about cancer. But even eating that much meat in a week increases your chances of type 2 diabetes. They did a study in Taiwan. And even people who eat like, like, less, like one tenth of what Americans eat, it still increases their chances for type 2 diabetes compared to the ones who eat no meat at all. So even a very little bit, it may not increase your chances for cancer as much, but it increases your chance for diabetes. Number six, limit alcohol intake. Uh, Ellen White went a step further and said what? No alcohol intake, right? Even better. Because even we already found out the science shows that what? It negatively actually can shrink your brain. If you want a moderate shrinkage, drink it moderately. If you want a large shrinkage of your brain, drink more, right? That's what we saw. So limit, it'd be better to just get rid of it. The next one is limit all salt intake. It's true, right? But if you're totally whole food, plant-based with no refined foods, a little bit of salt is just fine. Uh, make, make sure your grains and legumes are not moldy. 
in certain countries of the world, that can be a serious issue and can have some serious side effects, um, specifically cancer. So uh, number eight, get your nutrients through food, not supplements. Did you know that the science shows that, for instance, supplements like vitamin A and vitamin E, they noticed that people who took vitamin A, or not took, people with higher levels of vitamin A in their body and higher levels of vitamin E had lower levels of certain cancers, like lung cancer. So they thought, this is fantastic. Let's give people vitamin you know, A for lung cancer. And so they gave smokers vitamin A. You know what happened? It increased their chances of getting lung cancer. But if you eat it in a sweet potato, if you eat it in a carrot, you get that vitamin A, it lowers your chances of getting it. So the science shows get your nutrients through food, not supplements. Supplements are generally not the best thing to be eating. So what are we seeing? Now, did Ellen White tell us these things? She tells us in grains, fruits, vegetables, and nuts are to be found all the food elements that we need. We saw what she said. She said cancers, tumors, and, and all inflammatory diseases are largely caused by meat eating. I'm going to show you some stats in just a moment. It's uh, Dean Ornish. This is fascinating. In his study in 2008 on ca cancer and epigenetics, this is fascinating. Check this out. 30 men with low-level prostate cancer who chose not to have conventional therapy. They're like, eh, it's so low, maybe we should just not do anything. Three, they, they gave them a, uh, Dean Ornish gave them a three- month lifestyle intervention. Gene, they tested their genes and discovered that before the intervention, 450 genes were, uh, that were disease-promoting genes were turned on. That's what we call epigenetics, that certain genes can turn on and off based upon your lifestyle. And there's, I don't know why it's just the word theater there, but 453 of the genes that were disease-promoting were turned on. And 48 genes that were disease-fighting that could have helped fight disease were turned off. Well, what ended up happening? The intervention was a plant-based diet with moderate exercise, support groups, and training and stress management. He tries to throw every good thing he knows of at it to make sure, hey, let's try all the good things. And who knows exactly which one it is? It doesn't matter. If you could reverse it, that's all that matters, right? Live a good lifestyle. What happens? The result is that after the study, after the three months, the 453 disease-producing genes were then turned off. And the 48 disease-fighting genes were turned back on. Wouldn't you want your genes that fight disease to be turned on all the way? Start exercising. Get on a healthy plant-based diet. A whole food, as close as you can get to a whole food plant-based diet, and you will fight cancer better than ever before. Now, I'm going to show you. This is from the Adventist, uh, the Adventist cohorts, the study done on Adventists here. This is interesting. Uh, that non-vegetarian Adventists have, they're the, you know, the, the uh, what do we, control, we call them the control group, but they're, they're the baseline that they have the highest levels of cancer. And then if a, someone, if a man, this is, this is just men, if, if they become vegetarians, it drops their chances of cancer by 5%. If they become vegans, it drops their chances by 19%. But most, most of us as Adventists are not whole food vegans either. Meaning these people who are real at the pioneer centers of the health message, you know, outside of our faith, they're more into getting back to whole plant-based foods instead of like, Junk food, you know, like junk vegan food or whatever it is, you know. Um, and so what, it, what ended up happening is this. Now, I have bad news for women. But I also have good news for women. 
I'll show you the bad news. The bad news is that Adventist vegetarian women have a little higher cancer rates than meat-eating Adventist women. The good news is once they get rid of the cheese and the milk, they drop their chances of cancer even more than the Adventist men who are vegans. In that kind of intent, and this is the Adventist study, so this is not like me, you know, ragging on Adventist vegetarian women. It just actually increases, I mean, it's such a slight amount. I mean, it's 0.4%. It's, they're almost identical to the meat eaters. But I'm guessing it's partly because many times we, when, we, when we give up the meat, we just increase intense amounts of cheese, intense amounts of dairy. And if you're eating massive amounts of dairy and cheese, you're probably going to be increasing your chances for cancer. If you ate very small amounts of them, it wouldn't have such a negative impact. But, you know, cheese tastes so good. Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You, you don't want to admit it. You're like, we can't say that at you. It tastes super good. That was, that's why it's so hard for me to, you know, overcome cheese. I absolutely love cheese, but it was, I feel so much better without it that now I'm not even tempted by the stuff because I feel just, yeah, so much better. Oh, and by the way, why is it so addictive? Because in cheese, there's something called casomorphin. What does this second part sound like? Morphine. And what is Morphine. An addictive drug, right? And so now you say, well, why would it be that way? Well, think about it. God made it for that calf to, in essence, be addicted to mama. It makes sense, right? He needs that from mama. But what we did is we made some process where it condenses it so that you have multiple times the amount of casomorphins that even the cow gets, in cheese because it's concentrated, right? And so you eat it and it's just like, wow, this is amazing, the pizza or, you know, whatever it is. It tastes so good that it's hard to give up, right? Now, I'm not even telling you you have to do it. I'm just giving you the science that, I mean, this is, I mean, just that, just at least, yeah, I mean, that's serious stuff there. So notice what Ellen White says. Progressive. This is not something that people have to change overnight, but she says the diet reform should be progressive. As disease in animals increases, the use of milk and eggs will become more and more unsafe. Could it be that the use of milk and eggs has become more and more safe, so much so that vegetarian Adventists are getting more cancer? Could it be that this word has been fulfilled, that once again she was right? Once again she was, I mean, this is just, I mean, it's amazing. Over and over, she just nails it every time. As disease in animals increase, the use of milk and eggs will become more and more unsafe. And efforts should be made to supply their place with other things that are healthful and inexpensive. The people everywhere should be taught how to cook without milk and eggs so far as possible and yet have their food wholesome and palatable, right? This isn't being judgmental. I, I sat down, I sit down with my dad and he eats, I mean, just, just at, you know, Christmas with the family. They're eating their pork. I sit down with my dad, he eats his, you know, octopus and whatever. And I love my dad. I don't fight with him and stick my finger out. I sit there and and I enjoy my sweet potato. (laughs) And he enjoys his octopus. And we sit there and and my poor wife, though, it really grosses her because she was raised an Adventist, you know, and she's just like, oh, that's so gross, you know. And I understand. I understand the poor thing. It's like she didn't grow up with a stinky octopus in her house, you know. Um, But you get it. Like, that's my background. And we don't have to be mean to each other. We can love each other, even in the church. Listen, we don't all have to eat exactly alike, but let's be loving to each other. Yes or no? We don't have to be judgmental, but isn't it good at least to know the best science that's out there? So at least you know what is the best way to go. You don't have to choose it. But God gave this to us to be a blessing. I love this one. This is the Boyd 
cohort study. This is a 65-year study on the results of high dairy intake as a child. It causes nearly three times the odds of colorectal cancer later in life. So high dairy, high colorectal cancer, right? So that's serious, but that, actually, when I said this is a great one, I don't love that one. I love, I love one that's, why would I love that a bunch of milk gives colon can, or colorectal cancer? No, I don't love that. I love the next one, actually. I thought this was gonna be the next one. This one I love. This is same same study, 60-year follow-up, starting from with 4,999 people, found a 38% decrease in cancer risk for those who ate the highest intake of fruit. They did not find the benefit for other forms of nutrition. So if you want your children to have the best fighting chance of not having cancer later in life, this is what they found. For the children who ate the most fruit later on in life, they had a 38% less chance of getting cancer. Isn't that powerful? What did God give in the very beginning? Fruit, right? So eat that fruit. It is so good for you. And God told us, he gave us this message. He's the one who satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. 95% of people can reverse type 2 diabetes. Almost everybody can reverse the artery blockage if they really stick to a whole food plant-based diet. You know, tons of people could change that. We could reverse these diseases or never have them in the first place. How much better is that And to never get it in the first place? By eating the diet God gave us from the very beginning. Cancer, we can lower it, but there's other aspects. Like we saw country living could lower your chances. We looked at the science that country living can give you more cancer-fighting natural killer cells in your body. This is what the latest cutting-edge science shows. So we have all of this science that God has given us, but I'm going to close with this. What if we actually followed everything we were given? Wouldn't that be amazing? We'd be the happiest people in the world. We'd be the healthiest people in the world. We kind of are the healthiest people in the world. But we could be a whole lot healthier, right? And, you know, we could be, you know, living so much better. We could find the benefit. And so God could use us in a more powerful way to transform the world if we actually try more and more of these things, not as a curse, but as a blessing so that you can live longer. You know, when you're, when you're young, I know you don't care as much, but you, as you get older, I'm only 37, but you, I, feel, I feel better now at 37 than I did when I was 16 or 18 years old. I can, I can run more than I could back then. I, I tried it just like, like last year or something. I, I thought, you know, in high school, I was a terrible runner. I thought I could run like a mile, like nine minutes, terrible mile, you know? And then just like a year ago, I thought, I wonder how fast I could run a mile now. And I ran a mile in like five minutes and 52 seconds or 56 seconds. I could never do something like that in the past. And I had joint pain. My joint pain went away. I had migraines. My migraines went away. I had hypoglycemia. My hypoglycemia went, went away. And it's not because of me. It's just because of what we were told. And as I implemented it, it's not judgmental to me. This has been one of the greatest experiences of my life outside of giving my life to Jesus, outside of getting married. But this is like right up there. It's been such a great experience that I just say, listen, I would love more people to experience what I have experienced. Think about if God is calling you to maybe a, a higher experience with this, and it also lowers depression and makes you happy. So give it a test. Give it a test. The last message I'm going to challenge people to, at some point, maybe decide to try to take a one-month challenge, one month, just one month, of a whole food diet. Nothing, nothing refined. A whole food diet. 
Maybe you won't be here the next... It, would anybody like to say, you don't have to start next week or tomorrow. You probably can't because the food here is not all whole food. But, you know, like you could start at some point and say, I'd like to try, even if it's a month from now or two months from now. Is there anybody who'd like to say, I'd like to feel what it's like to try a total whole food. It doesn't have to be raw. You can cook stuff. But a whole food diet for one month. Is there anybody that would say, yeah, I, I would, might as well give it a try. I'll just see how it is. Fantastic. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We know we could go on disease after disease, that is, that plant-based lifestyle can change. Many allergies, many difficulties can be reversed if we simply stick to your diet. We don't go to heaven because of what we eat. You don't say after 10 years of veganism, well done, my good and faithful servant. But could it be that our bodies would feel better, our spiritual life would be enhanced, that it would be easier not to lust and get angry and be a curmudgeon or fall into some old sin that maybe our minds would open up to in areas we had never even imagined. Father, I thank you for this great and grand message you've given us. Help us to live it out not as, not as a, a stern, harsh duty, not become an angry vegan, but become the happy people that you created us to be that we would bless the world with your truth. And as we share it, people would say, wow, what's going on in your life? I want to experience some of that. And that it would draw others nearer to your blessed son, Jesus Christ, we pray. In his name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.